This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. Hey guys, quick thing. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Mook Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Mook Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with Mook Delivery. So the only question left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to the Guna Talk. Back again with you guys for another episode of our Let's Talk Arsenal series, a show in which we have a chat about our beloved club, talking about different types of topics depending on what's going on in the world of Arsenal. And this season, it's been pretty darn positive. But this, of course, is a bit of a, a special Let's Talk Arsenal show. It's our twice annually, or we try to do this twice annually, typically after the transfer window is closed. Where I'm joined by three very familiar faces to have a discussion about everything that's happened in the past six months or so. First of all, joining us from Ask Blog, it's Andrew. How are you doing, Andrew? You good? You well? Hello, Tom. How are you? Nice to be here. Yeah, very good, mate. Very good. How has the first six months of the season treated you? Uh, pretty good, has to be mm. said. Uh, <laughs> enjoyed it quite a lot, and uh, it makes you full of anticipation and hope for the second half of the season. So, fingers crossed, we can just keep doing what we've been doing. Absolutely. Fingers crossed indeed. Also joining us from the Highbury squad and former Arsenal striker, Kevin Campbell. How are you doing, mate? You good, Joel? I'm good, thanks, Tom. Hi, Andrew. How are you doing? Hey, Kev. Good to see you. I feel bad for Clive now because you're not going to say if he's all right (laughs) because we've not introduced him yet. But we can do that now. Uh, Let's bring in uh, former footballing coach and turned professional footballing coach, but of course part of the Arsenal Vision podcast. It's Clive. How are you doing, Clive? professional i'm not professional at anything i felt bad introducing the former <laughs> arsenal striker before you hi <laughs> clive I mean, how are you doing i spent my hard-earned money watching that bloke around the around europe <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's why i always say tom hi clive how you doing because you know what it was Mate, you gave Absolutely. me one of the best days of my life in copenhagen mate and i never actually thanked you so uh so there you go fantastic oh. Special, special day. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I wasn't alive. Um, no, I'm, I probably was. <laughs> Just to make you feel how you feel. Um, but uh, everybody in the chat box, of course, thank you for Cheers, joining Tom. us. <laughs> no worries, mate. Uh, everyone in the chat box, hope you're doing good. I hope you're doing well. Uh, do drop a like on the video. Subscribe to the channel if you're new, of course, as well. Um, we're going to kick things off with uh, kind of it being the end of the transfer window just only days ago, it's probably the most timely thing to talk about. Um, Andrew, I'll start with you. I remember when we spoke a year ago, us four, and we didn't do anything uh, in that window. And I, mm-hmm. and I listened back to that podcast to kind of re-familiarise myself with the points that we made back then. And it was very much along the lines of, if, if you can't do the right business, don't do any business, was kind of the theme that we spoke about. And obviously, by the end of that season, we reflected on the injuries that we faced that were very unlucky and thought, well, maybe if we had done something, it could have actually helped us to get across the line in terms of the top four. But this time around, three signings through the door, two that have broken a bit away from the typical strategy that we've gone for, but probably reflective of the the context of this season. So what did you make of the the January window? Um, I mean, we had to do something for sure. Uh, The... the the initial plan seemed to be very exciting with Joao Felix and Mikhail Mudrik 
being lined up. But then, of course, Chelsea came along and did what Chelsea did and just bought players that other clubs want to buy, um, which meant we had to do different things. And I think the 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 business that we've done, as you said, it's reflective of the context of the season, but it's also reflective of the context and the build uh, the build up of this particular squad. I think signing a 28-year-old, a 31-year-old and a, a relatively raw central defender is something we can do now because we've got such a good platform, a good foundation. Um, you know, when we didn't get Mudrick, we had to get somebody else in in the wide positions. We got Trossard. He was available. There was a measure of, I think, um, availability there, you know, given what was happening with him at Brighton, but sensible deal. Um pressed at the end for a, a central midfielder. The pursuit of Caicedo didn't go the way we wanted. I think we were probably right not to push that any further. The money that we offered Brighton, I think, was more than fair for a guy who's played less than 30 Premier League games, even if he is a good player. So we've had to do something a little bit different. It might take us a little while to get used to the uh, Jorginho thing. And then Kivior gives us a, a left-footed central defender, somebody that we've needed, somebody Mikel uh, Arteta has wanted in the squad. So I think when you know when you step back, it's probably not as exciting as it might have been, but it's it's not like last um, January where I think we almost had the option not to do anything. Whereas this time around, we couldn't. We couldn't repeat that. We couldn't do that again because there's so much to play for. So while it might not have been ideal, we'll wait and see how these guys play out over the course of the the, the remainder of the season. But I think we, we've we learned a bit from last January as well, that even if it wasn't exactly the right player, we've been able to bring in players who, who look like they should fit and be able to do a job. You're on mute, Tom. Oh, the professional as always. Yeah, classic. Uh, <laughs> as I was saying before, I was really interrupted by my own computer. Um, yeah, look, the context, I think, is the most important thing uh, around this. And certainly the the age profiles may be a deviation of what we've done before. It certainly fits into what we're aiming to try and to achieve this season. And getting something done, uh, as you said at the start of your answer, Andrew, I think it absolutely was the most important thing that we got done um, was was getting numbers through the door, but also that provided quality, which I think we can agree the players that we got do that. Casey, in terms of kind of where your head was at at the start of the window and what your expectations were and what maybe your desires were for what Arsenal would do, how did you feel at the end of the window? Did you feel fulfilled by what we'd done or a little bit shortchanged? I thought we might have lost Casey. Uh, uh, we'll try and get. We'll try and. I think he's on a little bit of a delay. Yeah. Uh, Clive, do you want to come in and answer that whilst we try and get him back? Sorry, do you want to go go again? Top that question. Yeah, Sorry. just in terms of the 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 window, in terms of where we were at the start of it, and how you felt in terms of your desires, your expectations of what we would do, and when we got to the end of the window, did you feel did you feel fulfilled in what we did, or did you feel slightly shortchanged with what we did? Yeah, I'm learning to grow up about this and and be worried about the <laughs> what I think are the right things. I tell you, my biggest worry for January, right, was getting a WhatsApp from Andrew saying we've got to do a podcast just after the transfer window, and we've done nothing. We are <laughs> we are top of the league, and we haven't bought anybody at all. Can we come on and try to explain that to the Arsenal world? Honestly, there I have skills, but that one I would not be able to do because at this time. We had to do something. Mm. And that was my key driver. We could all see and feel what's happening. To do nothing would be criminal. Last year, I could, where we were in the project life cycle, we had some contracts to annul people to rid ourselves of. And we took a decision to make the squad smaller, focus on unity, harmony, all those things until our legs fell off towards the end of the season. But we accepted it. And maybe we, wouldn't, we would not have had that form with a bigger squad. So we accepted it. We rode the wave until literally we ran out of steam. Whereas this year now, we're thinking, okay, everyone stayed on board over the summer. We watched pre-season, tip-top, go into the season, and we start. And we look fantastic. And we realise that we get to the break and we have to do something. We just have to. Of course, we got dangled the, the nice bunch of chocolates, all the nice pretty signings, which I YouTube to death. But when it comes down to it, we ended up with three players that make us stronger. And, and that's it. We don't know by how much yet, because it's to be proven. But there were lots of um, 
pictures of our bench being sent out on Twitter. And that tells people that and it looks a bit better. You know, mm-hmm. I sent out a tweet towards the end of last year talking about our bench at Newcastle. And it had people like Zach Swanson on the bench. Nothing against Zach Swanson, but um, there was other youth players on in that dressing room at Newcastle. And that's not where we need to be if you want to sustain the title challenge. So for me, it was just fixing that issue. And we can discuss the qualities of an individual player. And that's what we do. We debate players' quality, don't we? So, um, which is fine. But that's to be proven as we go forward. Yeah, no, I think Swanson's a really good example because he left for League One Portsmouth, you know, in, in the summer. And so I think that kind of gives a context around what kind of level of player uh, with, with the utmost respect of kind of what we would have been bringing off the bench. Um, so to see the change that we've brought through and also the return from injury of the likes of Smith Rowe as well is going to give us hopefully that added kick that we've needed in this second half of the season. KC, let's, let's do a quick live test. Can you hear us? Can you see us? I can hear you. <laughs> Lovely stuff, because <laughs> we can see and hear you too. Um, talk to me. I, obviously, I asked you the question. I think you heard what it was, but but yeah. tell me your thoughts around around the window. My thoughts around the window. Clive makes a good point about our bench. I made a, a comment on the Highbury squad, and maybe to you guys that our bench should be on Farley's rust. They were that young. They were they were babies. Now it's all right when you're trying to build something together. Everyone. Great. Not not much expected. We want top four. But the position we find ourselves this January, obviously, is huge. It's an opportunity that we, we couldn't turn our noses at. What we couldn't do is, I know some of the sh- shiny signings look nice, but they got not, a lot of them were no experience, really. No Premier League experience. Yao Felix, look, started up pretty well in the first half at Chelsea and got sent off in the second. That could have happened to us. Mudrick, you know, he's played a handful of games, really. Very talented, very quick, but no experience. So what we done, we went out and we strengthened our bench. We strengthened our squad with experience. I like Trossard. I do. Helped in the win against Manchester United just by coming on. Looked a lot different. I think we're going to, we're going to, start seeing these players having to incorporate and bed themselves in. It's going to be better at the Emirates because we dominate the ball so much more. But Jorginho won, I think, there was a little meltdown with our fan base, wasn't there? Just go and pay the money for Caicedo. (laughs) Just go and pay the money for Caicedo. Brighton don't need the money. They were not, never going to sell him. And, you know, Andrew makes a really good point. We offered just about the right money. And, you know, they said no. So we pivoted and we went and got a a, a different player, so to speak. Someone with not the energy, but someone with the experience who could sit at the base of that midfield and dictate our play. Because realistically, that's what the problem is when Thomas Partey's not there, isn't it? That is the problem. So we went and rectified that. We got Kivior who can play centre-half, he can play in midfield if need be. But again, we need to incorporate him. But when you look at our bench now, Smith Rowe's struggling a little bit, still with injury. You look at our bench now and we look a little bit stronger there. So I think we've done okay. Hmm. Yeah, I, I do too. Um, I think the key thing and, and a point I think has been across all three answers is if you look at the squad before the window and you look at it after there's an improvement. And when you're fighting for what we're fighting for, that is the bottom line, what we need to achieve. And so we've done that. I also think, you know, you compare the Jorginho contract to some of the previous Chelsea signings we've made in the 18 months within a year. It's smarter, it's savvier, you know, it's it makes more sense. Um, just to stick briefly on it, Andrew, I kind of want to ask around the the criticism. You know, Casey brought up the hysteria that we saw uh, online, the minor meltdown that us Arsenal fans love to have on social media. Um, one of the key kind of, points that was brought forward is more toward Edu and around the idea of Arsenal's priority targets not being got. We've seen, you know, in the past few transfer windows, the likes of Dusan Vlaovic, Lissandro Martinez, Rafinha, we're now seeing Mudrik and uh, more recently Moises Caicedo and, and Arsenal not necessarily being able to get those and having to pivot. And we have to say pivot quite well because we've built a squad that's now fighting for a title this season. 
I asked Arteta in the press conference ahead of the game against Everton what Arsenal have to change to kind of, you know, um, reach those targets. And he basically, as you would expect, kind of batted it off to you can't always do what you plan to do at the beginning of the window. But is it a concern for you that we're not getting those priority targets too regularly? I I don't really think so, because I think the what happened in January was extraordinary, you know, Um with Mudrick, with what Chelsea are doing, I mean, you're you're fighting with uh, a club that just I can't really make a great deal of sense in terms of how they're spending their money and and how they're building their squad and what their plan is. So, I think in in those circumstances, um, it, it's not like a fair fight in a way because they're just willing to do whatever it takes. And maybe you could say Arsenal should be willing to do whatever it takes. Um, but they have got good signings in and Arsenal aren't the only club that misses out on players. I mean, I think if you read some of the stuff that was doing the rounds about Edu is like, we're the only club in football history that's never signed a player that we want to sign. You know, that's not how it's just nonsense, right? We have signed good players. We're top of the league by five points when people are making these, um, these comments and, and, you know, a very significant reason is, uh, as to why we're top of the league is because we've recruited really, really well. And the issue then you have when you start operating in a higher bracket, I mean, look, I'm not casting any aspersions on any of these players because I love them, but Arsenal should be able to go get Aaron Ramsdale. They should be able to get Ben White. They should be able to get Tommy Asu. You know, they should be able to get guys that they brought in. We brought it up a level with Zinchenko and Gabriel Jesus in the summer. And now we're, we're, we're looking at another level again. And when you get to that other level, when you're top of the table, when you're bringing in players who are who are trying to raise the level of a team that's top of the table, you're looking at real high-quality players. Two things. High-quality players cost a lot of money, and other clubs want those high-quality players. So, yeah, it'll be great if Edu can get a couple of those deals across the line and people can calm down. Um, you know, great. But, l- like, let's not make the mistake and think like, you know, we, we didn't push hard for some of the signings, like offering 70 million for Caicedo. That's a lot of money for a guy that cost 4 million two years ago, offering a hundred million for Mudrik in a different way from Chelsea. This is a kid who, you know, could have been available for 30 or 40 million at most six months ago in the summer window. So we didn't get them done, but it's not as if we didn't try. And I think in 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 these kinds of deals, there's always complications. And, and the biggest complication very often is another club who will just come in and offer more money and more money. And, you know, as we can see, and as football has gone, there are clubs for whom money really isn't uh, an object uh, or they choose not to think about money as an object. So I, I don't really worry too much about, about that at the moment. Let's see what happens in the summer. Mm. It's quite a nice segue, actually. Clubs considering what they think about money and the use of money and whether they talk about their money or declare their money. Um, Manchester City, Kevin, have obviously been facing now what looks to be around or exactly, I'm not sure if it's around or exactly, 100 charges of potential breaches of financial fair play. Uh, the Premier League are the ones that, of course, as we know, have, have levelled these these charges and uh, although we're not expecting a resolution to this swiftly um, it's described as being unprecedented and I'm curious to get your reaction to it yeah it is unprecedented but what we have to look at is it's over the best part of 14 years so what happened after year two year three year four year five and, and onwards if they knew this was going on why wouldn't you step in so for them to finally make that move now, I know it's alleged, but you have to have incriminating evidence if you're gonna if you're gonna make the move now. That's for sure. Um, listen, it's gonna it's it's gonna turn football upside down in my eyes because Manchester City have been by far the best and most consistent team over the last what. <laughs> five, six years or whatever. But you're going to get problems with Liverpool. Liverpool run close a couple of times. And Liverpool are going to say to this, say to the authorities, well, what's happened with our titles? We could have won those titles. I think Manchester United came second one year. 
Mm. Man United could have won the title. Twice, so, was it? I think Jose did it and Oli did it twice. Yeah. Again, it's it's gonna it's gonna cause so many ruptures, and the punishment has to fit the crime, Tom. That's the other thing. For you, you know, what is that? What is that level of punishment that's reflective? Listen, we've said it in other leagues. Teams get demoted. Simple as that. You get thrown out the league. You go down the division or whatever has to happen because you've got to deter other teams from being able to do it. Now, I'm saying it's alleged because obviously they're not found guilty yet. Mm. But if they are guilty, then they have to chuck the book at them. It's that simple. Yeah, like we, I think we saw news today coming out that they'd uh, appointed the same uh, lawyer that uh, dealt with the situation when UEFA uh, leveled them with that European uh, expulsion for two years as well. So whether or not the same outcome happens, well, I say the same outcome, they were still fined, I think, significantly uh, for that uh, situation, but obviously didn't face the ban that they were initially handed. Clive, um, you know, it's it's a very delicate situation obviously is very legal and we we continue to talk about these things in alleged circumstances um that the amount of charges is as i think is what struck the footballing world in particular and how long of course they date back as well so i'm I'm very curious to get your views on the whole situation yeah i mean it's almost as like it's emperor's clothes stuff right so the deloitte and football money list comes out if i just name you four teams Bayern munich real madrid barcelona and manchester city which one do you think shouldn't belong in that group? Which one do you think is number one, even if it is in that group? It's the one team that we know from going to football matches that can't fill up their end at Wembley, right? So the two doesn't, they don't, they don't sync up, right? They don't sync up. But we're happy to ignore it as a football world because they bring exciting players into the league. And we have exciting games with this level of our league and we see a fantastic manager playing beautiful football and we ignore it. What's really happening is, and I can say this about um, Chelsea as well, up to, to up to a degree, they've distorted the sport that we love, right? And the reason why Eddie's getting stick for not signing players is that we are now judging Arsenal on these high levels. How can you judge Arsenal on these high levels when, when Chelsea, for example, had £1.4 billion of extra funding that we didn't have during that period of Abramovich? And as for Man City, we don't know the numbers. We can just guess because, you know, allegedly there are companies paying people from different sources which don't show in the books, et cetera, et cetera. Shock horror. This does happen before in sport. You know what I mean? And um, I, find it, I find it very hypocritical that the people that make their money, particularly in some of the uh, big shows and big channels that we, show, we all subscribe to, don't highlight this early enough because it doesn't suit them to highlight it. You know, because it creates a business model for them, which allows them to sell what they need to sell, broadband, etc. Because we're all hooked on the overall product, and then when someone makes a mistake, then it's all over the yellow ticker, right? It, it, I find it hypocritical. You know, I've, I, you know, all the big hullabaloo over the Super League. I find it hypocritical that within our own league we have a similar types of things ongoing within our own structures. We've always created a Super League in our own country. This is a deep, deep topic, right? And so rather than pinpoint the finger at Man City, I've got less excited about it now because nothing's going to happen. Honestly, mate, nothing's going to happen. Four years, nothing's going to happen. Don't think they're going to start handing out retrospective medals and retrospective Champions League monies that we missed out on, for example. Nothing's going to happen in the short term. But what I will say is what the Premier League has done is created a cloud, over Manchester City. And they have to decide how long they want that cloud hanging over them. And the people that work for them have to decide, do I want to be involved with a club that has this cloud hanging over them? So it might take in the Premier League four years to come up with 100 plus uh, charges, but that's a cloud. That's an environment by which they have to work under. And everybody knows that. You know, So that's going to create a different dynamic to the Manchester City name and model and how it perceives itself around the world with its 11, 12 clubs, Tom, that they have around the world. Everything is up for grabs. Everything is up for grabs. So the way to attack them is not in their money. It's in their name. 
Mm. You attack their name just by creating this cloud. If they want to hang it out for four or five years, they have to decide, is that how they want to live? It's going to be so interesting to see how this affects their very high-quality people they have in the club, mm. including the manager. Say, this, is this how I want to work? Is this how I want my legacy to be defined? It's going to be so interesting to watch what happens next. Mm. It's actually a really good point that I'd not considered, especially with the the CFG, the City Football Group. I mean, when I went up to the the Man City game the other the other Friday ago for the FA Cup game, you have to pick up your uh, media accreditation from the training ground rather than the stadium. It's the only stadium I've ever been to where that's the case. And when you go into the media accreditation part of the Etihad Park, they've got the badges of all twelve of the CFG clubs up in there. And it makes you realise, obviously, what a big kind of structure CFG is beyond just Manchester City and how this now affects that as the group with this obviously being the headline act of CFG. So it's it's a big point. I'm curious, Andrew, based upon listening to what you've heard there from Clive as well, with your own thoughts on the whole topic. And I know you covered this in this morning's Ask Us Extra, which listeners, if you haven't listened to, make sure you go and do that. Um, but what are your thoughts based upon this this theoretical cloud that, that Clive brings up around this and the reputation of the people and players there that are affected by it. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's got to be a consideration. Um, I think what's most interesting about this for me is that the Premier League is very conscious of its own brand. And what they're doing with these charges is essentially accusing the most successful club in the Premier League for the last 10 years of cheating, of cooking the books, and in doing so, they have fundamentally damaged the integrity of the Premier League, of the sport, of their own successes. So if City are proven or found guilty of these charges, leaving aside the punishment for one second, the Premier League have basically tainted six or eight, or I don't know how many titles City have won. Is it six or seven anyway? Something like that. Something like that. So they're basically saying the champions for six... Premier League champions six times have done it in a way that is in contravention of our rules, right? Mm. So that, that tells me that the Premier League are, are serious about this. A four-year investigation with 115 charges is not just like a little slip. Oh, we made a mistake. Oh, we sent the wrong invoice. We just happened to put 58 million pounds on this invoice rather than 5.8 million. It was just, you know. Nobody buys that. So there's a seriousness with which they are approaching this. Um, and I think that's quite an interesting thing to consider because, you know, the Premier League wants to attract investment. It wants to attract new owners. Keep that bubble going. How do you get richer owners, bigger owners, all this kind of stuff? You, you I don't quite um, see where you go after you have um, countries owning football clubs. Where else can you go? So... I think it's very interesting. And in terms of a punishment, if it is proven or if they are found guilty, you cannot le uh, level a fine at Manchester City because it's just pointless. It's like a billionaire parking his car on double yellow lines outside a hospital and he gets a parking fine and he just pays the money and he'll still park wherever the hell he wants. It's pointless. You've got to really hurt them if they've been proved or if it's proven that their titles that their successes that their investment which has gone into let's be clear about this has gone into the managers it's gone into the players you know they've bought brilliant players they've had brilliant managers they've made a brilliant team but if they've done it in a way which is you know basically cheating you really have to hit them hard and i'm not saying that's what will happen but if it's proven they have to be hit hard and um, you can look to Italy maybe to see what happens in different leagues to see how harshly they will punish certain clubs, regardless of the stature of the club. There isn't a bigger club in, in Italy than Juventus, and look what they did to Juventus. So that's kind of Twice. where they're going to go with this. Twice, yeah. Andrew. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, you know, this, this is how serious this is. And so this will be long, and City will fight it and everything else, but I, I cannot believe for a second that the Premier League would go into this in a way that they're not convinced that they have the evidence to prove these charges against Man City. Mm -hmm. It's yeah, and I think that explanation is is why, and it brings the context to the word unprecedented because, and also, you know, what they do here it sets the tone. 
Um, you know, if you if you choke on this one, if you don't deal out the the relevant punishment that it's worth, you know, what what message does that send out to other potential state owned funds coming into clubs? You know, look at Newcastle. You know, just been taken over. If you know this is going to set a precedent to stop, potentially stop, we hope you know the same type of thing happening again. Uh, you know, harking back to what Clive you said about one point four billion, of course, that we didn't have that Chelsea had. We've ironically seen Chelsea spend nearly half of that in a year under Todd Bowley. Um, it, it's incredible money. Last word on this, um, Kev, just in terms of the fan perspective, because I, I was listening to a few phone-in shows while I was working today and City fans calling up. And, you know, it's it's a real difficult one on the social level. If you just take away the the people behind these awful decisions and the, and, and the, the potential alleged cheating that's been going on, and you look at it from the fan perspective, you know, if you put yourself in the shoes of a Manchester City fan, they've enjoyed great success. They've enjoyed league wins. And it's not them that's done this you know it's not them that's uh been behind the decision makers up top so how how empathetic are you towards kind of those manchester city supports in the same way that could see their club go down if that is indeed the punishment they deal out i, I doubt i i highly doubt that will be what it would be but hypothetically so that's is how how do you feel for those supporters in that situation imagining if that was that was us yeah well one thing i would say is the man city fans don't Obviously, they have no part in it, but they enjoy what they see. They've gone through some hardships, some tough times, and then all of a sudden, there's an injection, there's new owners, great players are coming in and you're winning titles. It's a dream and you never want it to end. But as you sleep, the nightmare can come. And this, to them, is a nightmare. Because all of a sudden... Everything gets questioned. Let's be honest. Everything for the last 14 years is going to get questioned. And in the worst case, it could get taken away. And I'm not saying it is. But if you're a Man City fan, all of a sudden, do you want to go back to being an also-ran? Do you want to go back to going down the leagues? And the fans would always be there. But... The, the, the ownership... Well, the fans that go to Man City will be there, you know. <laughs> but, the, but the ownership, Tom, the ownership have made them much bigger than they ever were in this social media sure. time. Manchester City are now one of the biggest clubs in the world. And there's 114 or 13 or how many problems, reasons why they are now. This is what we're finding out. So if you if you... If you could flip a switch and we can get to that point, Manchester City fans do not want this part of their history to be eradicated. Of course you don't, because they've they've had a run and a half at it. But every 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 bad deed will come to the light in the end. And now we're seeing things come to the light. Because let's be honest, Clive made a really good point. Clive said. We ignore some. We ignore these things sometimes because Man City are playing great football, and Man City. Have, have, nobody dislikes Man City, and I because do. they've been so successful. <laughs> no, oh, nobody dislikes. No, one. <laughs> no, nobody like. Nobody dislikes Man City because that that then they haven't been of that standard in such a long time. Well, they, they've never been there. Now yeah. we're we could hate them now. We could dislike them now because they're rivals. Hmm. And then when you hear about what's been going on, it just makes it even worse. As a Man City fan, they're absolutely sick. They're going to absolutely be sick. I know so many Man City fans. I live in Manchester, as you know. It's a signal for them. It really is. And it's one they're, they're waiting with bated breath, Tom, because this could really disrupt their football club for the next decade. Hmm. Uh, yeah, when you said no, I, I now understand the concept. I remember for a lot of people, like before the money came in, Man City used to be a lot of people thought they would describe as second teams for people who had those, you know, just the little underdog in Manchester, uh, you know, players that they would enjoy seeing, just the Samaras, etc. I remember Samaras being kind of a, a cult hero there and things like that. So, yeah, how things change and how perceptions of clubs change when when money comes into it. Let's let's talk about some fun stuff, Clive, um, and particularly right. how good Arsenal have been. Uh, of course, we are doing this 
off the back of what has been a rarity this season in, in a defeat. Um, and I was listening to the to the Vision podcast earlier on when, when yourself and, and Paul and Elliot was breaking this down um, and talking about what Daesh did in particular. Are you? Is there hope in you that now we've kind of had that kick up the backside that this type of game can propel you forwards in the right direction and also give you a a hard lesson to learn from in what other teams might do to you as well? I think we're a victim of timing. We walked into their house at the wrong time. And even if at Everton, I don't think there is a good time. <laughs> There's something about that ground. Uh, we just Horrible don't see. I'll tell you that. <laughs> we, we, we've seen the film, haven't we? We've seen this film so many times, you know. Um, so, yeah, we just don't seem to do well there. But, you know, just going tactically, it's interesting what they did. It's very similar to what Newcastle did. And it's something... And people say, oh, I hope we learn some lessons. And I think, yeah, okay. What did we learn about this? What can we learn? How can we overcome these teams? And, you know, the, the way they boxed us off into the side areas and didn't let us get inside. When they did let us get inside, they kicked our legs off. We weren't able to get any sort of flow momentum in the interior. We lacked a bit of physicality and presence at centre forward for me for this type of game. You know, we just did. I'm sorry, and um, and we weren't able to read how we needed to connect our front four together. We just uh, our centre forward stayed in the box a little bit too much away from away from play. Didn't get enough touches to pull people around. We didn't run through lines enough. We played to feet all the time. We didn't run through in the half space. We didn't run through on the outside. We didn't cause them enough variety of problems. And when we did have the ball to our feet, it was all slow. Some of that was due to the lovely pitch they laid out for us, but some of that was down to ourselves and the fact that we were watching the next tackle where it was coming from. When you're watching where the tackle's coming from, your touch is thinking about protection, ret retention of the ball, rather than playing through and passing the ball in a flow-type way. And so all these things get into your head. And that's what happens, Jenny, when you get beaten on a pitch. When a team beats you fair and square, you can point to a number of things that didn't go well. So it was a classic Sean Dyche game. Perfect. 1-0. Oh, please. Can I have a set piece? Cheers. We'll take that. Jog back in. Half hour to go. We were getting tired anyway. Now we get an extra boost of energy in front of a home crowd, which are fervent. I mean, if you wrote it down on a piece of paper, he would have said, that is it. This is mm. perfect. Quick little clap to the fans. Off we go down the tunnel. I'm back. Right? And we were the, we were the victims of that. So what can we learn? Well, first thing we need to do is get Gabriel Jesus into an oxygen tank and get his get his leg right. That's the first thing we need to do because he's made for this, isn't he? Because when we do go central, bang, round the corner, turned, bang, we're off. We're off and running, and they're running backwards. They're all just they're all broken. It's all broken play. Need to get him back. I I felt a few of us were a little bit under the under par and maybe hobbled a bit, you know, some of our key players and they were disconnected. So I think, you know, if we were at home, how we would solve that, we would just like lift the crowd and move the ball very, very quickly on a very, very slick surface. And eventually they, they would show us the cracks. We weren't able to do that. So I think it's just, it's a challenging one for us. We've lost two in a row. Let's be honest, we've lost two in a row. We, we accepted the first one because we're thinking, we're thinking open top buses in May. So we weren't bothered about the first one, Man City away. But this second one did bother us a little bit, but it won't bother us if we beat Brentford and then beat City at home. It won't bother us at all. Mm. And I think we, it's good to get back home to playing our football again. And maybe as a reminder, post the absolute amazing high of Manchester United at home, it's a reminder that this is not easy. You have to bring it every week. Otherwise, you're going to go through a blip, right? So... Saturday is going to be electric. I hope so. When three points will thereafter follow thereafter. Mm. It's interesting that six of the next nine games uh, in the Premier League are at home as well. You know, it's a real opportunity to build momentum. And the Emirates, obviously, has been such a, a breeding ground for success this season that you'd hope that that would give us the kickstart we need. Um, Andrew Clive highlighted a lot of kind of the, the things, obviously, that we need to work on. Some of them are out of our control, like Jesus's injury, of course, and his return, and how important that will be. One thing that that kind of bothered me during the game was that all the like-for-like like substitutions that were made in the game. Um, 
And obviously, the system that we started with weren't particularly suiting how we were performing um, and kind of the way in which Dash was playing was countering it really well. And, you know, we had Trossard come from Martinelli and we had uh, Jorginho come for Partey. We had obviously Tommy Asu come on later on for, for Ben White. Um, and it just felt as though that Arteta didn't want to risk upsetting certain positions, changing the system too much. It, does he need to take more risks in these types of scenarios? I mean, it's difficult to know what more really he could have done in terms of personnel because we don't have Gabriel Jesus and, you know, Clive made the point and I'm pretty sure everybody agrees that this is the kind of game where even if he's coming back to fitness to have him on the on the bench gives you a different kind of striker. It also allows you to play with two strikers if you want, particularly if you're chasing a game. Maybe, you know, he could have, um, could have brought on Kieran Tierney somebody who could overlap on that left-hand side. I think that's something that we we lacked. Um, you know, when he brought on Tommy Asu, he's not really an overlapping fullback, a different kind of threat, somebody who could get down the side. But again, you know, you're then asking Kieran Tierney to to sling in crosses for Eddie and Kedia to to go up against Cody and Tarkovsky. So it's it's imperfect, you know. Um but I do think that there there should be a bit more variety when we get Jesus back, when we get Emil Smith-Rowe back, when you get uh, Reese Nelson on the bench. There should be ways of of tweaking the team, especially if you're chasing a game, which is not something we've had to do a lot this season as well. Um, that's something we should point out. We haven't really been chasing games. We've been ahead. We've been able to control games, and the substitutions have been about control rather than then regain, if you like. So maybe there's a, an element of, of him not really uh, being used to that. But I don't think he had a great deal on the bench at Everton that he could have done differently. Um, you know, the Partey substitution on the hour s- suggested to me that that was sort of precautionary, that that was pre-planned almost, that the injury he was feeling was, you know, they didn't want to risk him or, or they didn't, they didn't want to risk that. But uh you know, it, it didn't really work, um, which isn't a, a criticism of Jorginho. I think collectively and individually on the day, nobody was really, really at their best. Um, but maybe when you get to the final five minutes of a game like this, we used to remember Arsene Wenger throwing on as many forwards as he could um, in whatever way he could. And very often that brought about a goal. One point is better than no points. If you go hell for leather for the last five or ten minutes, maybe that's something we could look at. Um, but based on who he had on the bench, I'm not sure he could have done a huge amount differently uh, at Goodison Park. Mm, indeed, yeah. Like, I, th- I think there are opportunities, but he's he's so, I think, sometimes faithful. In a similar way to remember, Arsene Wenger used to be really faithful to his sides and we'd always kind of get frustrated that maybe he wasn't going to put a sub on because he was so keen to, and, you know, had that uh, confidence that the team he'd selected could do the job. Um, and, you know, there's definitely been so much benefit that's come from that faith that we've kept in players before. And uh, Arteta's already seen that this season as well, because we've seen players turn up late in games, big players turn up at big moments, despite maybe not performing at their optimum for the previous 70, 80 or even 90 minutes in that fixture, because they could be so like, you can have such game changes in different positions. But um, Kevin, in terms of what I describe as the blueprint for, for opposition teams, obviously you've played for a variety of different sides at different stages in terms of their competitiveness in the league. And do you feel as though teams will look at Everton and what they did and what Sean Dyche did and will use that as a blueprint to go forwards to the point where they might even change the way in which they play on the on the regular compared to when they're going to come up against Arsenal. And is that a concern for you? I hope they do, Tom. I hope they do change the way they pay and expect to to get the same result. 100%. Because we've proven this season that it doesn't matter what style you come with, we've only been beaten twice this season. And... Everton, the Everton game, we were, we just weren't, we just weren't at the same level. Um, you, you mentioned about bringing on like for like, bringing on a different player in the same position isn't like for like, because Trossard isn't a runner, for instance. Mm. Trossard isn't a runner, so he's going to try and do things a little bit different. He's going to get on the ball and he's going to try and probe and work his way into the box, which is kind of different to how Martinelli does his things. 
Jorginho in midfield. We weren't playing between the lines quick enough and obviously had to take party off. So you got to bring Jorginho on to try and get us going. But no matter what you try, it weren't happening. And I think Tommy Arsu came on, one, to, to show up that right-hand side, but two, to pick up in the box with, with set pieces because we were outmanned. Odegaard picking up Tarkovsky is a mismatch. It's a total mismatch. So we had to try and do things to try and, one, stop the thing at the back, but to, two, try and do things a little bit different going forward. I'm not worried at all, Tom, if I'm honest with you. These games will happen during a season. They will. And if, if you can get away with a point, great. If you lose, but what happened at, at Spurs against Manchester City and it does you a favour, you miss a bullet that week. But what you've got to do, get on the training ground and you get, you've got to get working at it because you know what certain teams are going to do. Let's be honest. The Newcastle game, we should have been gone within the first 20 minutes. The game should have been over. But if you don't take your chances, teams could peg you back. We didn't really have many chances. We had one off the line and Eddie put one, one wide. But apart from that, we, we just weren't good enough going forward, Tom. So I'm not worried about it at all. I think this Arsenal side right now have proven that they can bounce back. They can dust themselves down. And our Emirates form is going to be the key. Hmm. Let's be honest. You said, what is it? Six games out of nine? Yep. If we've got six games out of nine, we've definitely got to win all those games at the Emirates because that's your bread and butter. Away from home, anything could happen because you can be up against the pump. But I think, I think Arsenal, this Arsenal team, get the job done against Brentford. And don't forget, week, week after week, Jesus is getting closer. So that's going to add something totally different to, than what we've got right now. Because you know what? I just want to make this point. I think Martinelli suffers a little bit when Jesus ain't there. Mm -hmm. Because Jesus has that a ability. To, I'd argue. Yeah, you know, he has yeah. that ability to be able to hold the ball, turn his defender. So Martinelli, all of a sudden, is 1v1 with his fullback with an attacker on the ball. And he could then run in. Jesus could move out. So we've got more rotation. But hey, we're not complaining about Eddie because Eddie's done all right. Yeah, I, the reason why I know it's a lot is because I think from Elliot hammering home the point, Clive, about how many times there's a pass between Martinelli and Nketiah, you know, during games. Yeah. And it's it's next to nothing, you know. Yes. Well, I've had lots of Eddie debates. And uh, I've been a bit harsh on him, if I'm honest. But only because... And I stopped being harsh because, look, we're all, we're all fans and... But when you see the optimal Arsenal game, our front four have around 50 touches each. And, and I always look for that. In the last game, Eddie had 21 touches and Saka had like 80-something. And Martinelli had 30-something. And we're not getting that equilibrium of touches in, in our front four. And when you have one player getting all the touches, you know he can be kicked and keyed on and blocked off. And you become one-dimensional. So it's not a good sign. And so you need someone with experience to read the game, pick up the slack, and stop looking for the box, looking for the connections in midfield. And it's just it's just football. Every game is different. Every game creates a different challenge. How quickly do you see that challenge and adjust your game accordingly? Now, I can sit here in my little podcast room and say, oh, well, I know what you need to do. I'm a genius. <laughs> and um, But when you're in the game, you're blowing out your backside. You've got James Karkowski growling at you, saying, if you come into my side, I'm going to break your legs. Okay, if you know what I'm talking about. This is what happens, right, in the game. And suddenly you're not thinking about dropping deep, connecting. You're thinking about, we're one or down. I want to score for the team. And you be, then you disconnect yourself, you know. And that's the key. And that's experience. That's experience. Jesus has got that experience to turn, to chase. Watching Jesus at Chelsea, never leave me that game. He absolutely mm. destroyed them. Destroyed them. He didn't score, but anyone who watched that game live, you saw what he did to their whole back line. He destroyed them. That player is invaluable. And people say, he hasn't scored for this many games. I'm thinking, well, you're not watching. You're not mm. watching. The impact they, that he has on the opposition allows other people, like Martini and Saka, to really flourish. And um, So we need to get our, our top boys back. But within this, let's have a debate now. Let's have a debate. Within this, we are creating a different dynamic with, with Eddie, who's going to play. 
right? So, and does it change the dynamic of our eights? Because what happened that last game, I found Shaka's positioning was far too deep. He wasn't running through creating distractions that allowed Martinelli and Eddie to really move off of him. So, okay, look, they are six foot 100 team. We've got to protect set pieces. So, so Shaka will play. We know that never comes off. But as a football people, let's discuss when Vieira came on, his control was tip top. His ability to receive the ball is very, very good. And I think he offers a great running threat from that eight. He wants to run away. So Odegaard runs to the ball. He wants to run through. He wants to run through, prepare to underlap and overlap. And around the edge of the box, he is cold. And I think there's a, every now and again, just make that change. Just, we've got to develop that position. You know, we've got to develop it. Let's make that change every now and again. See if we can create a new face. Because every one of us listening, watching, they absolutely can name our first 11. Without without two seconds, there'll be no debate. We can all pick that further, there'll be no debate. But so can every opposition analyst and every opposition coach. Creating new faces is very important, even within game, just to throw a, a level of doubt. And we were scouted, we were watched, we were scouted, and we were stopped. No drama, first time in ages. But I think we'd be prepared for the evolution of this team. It may not end the season as we think it's going to end, and that may be a requirement because the closer we get to the finishing line, the more people are going to watch and want to stop us. So we need to be prepared for different faces at the start and end of games, and we should embrace that. Absolutely. Uh, I think that what's most important when you look at this Arsenal team, it, with it being so young as well, is always going to be confidence and momentum. Um, and it's, they, you, you really ride those waves of, of wins. Um, and the points you've raised there tactically, Clive, just looking at the response on Saturday against Brentford is going to be so key um, to seeing obviously how we react to a, a poor result as as. You know, uh, Kev pointed out earlier, we've done it this season. Man United, Southampton, PSV, Brighton, uh, Newcastle. We won the next game in those scenarios. And it shows you that growth from previous season. You know, last season, we were losing games, like three games in a row, two games in a row here and there. And it really stunted the progression of us. But this season, we've managed to turn that around. Um, to round off the show, I've got a two-minute round. So you've got two minutes each to answer your uh, respective questions so we can keep to time. So mainly, Clive, that's for you. Um, yeah, but uh, <laughs> but um, uh, <laughs> I'm going to start um, talking first with you, Andrew, specifically about Brentford on Saturday in the knowledge that City is on the following Wednesday. Mm. How do you approach that game in order to both stay competitive but to keep players fresh for that City game do you go into it full strength in both or do you make a couple of tweaks I think he might make a couple of tweaks to be honest um, I think we'll probably see Tommy Asu come in for Ben White I wouldn't be surprised to see Trossard start on the left it wouldn't surprise me if Kieran Tierney started it also wouldn't surprise me if Jorginho started and I do think it's important because Having a good first 11 is fantastic, but as we saw last season, a good first 11 can't get you where you need to go. You need to have a deeper squad. You need to have trust in those players and faith in those players. And those players need to play. They need to feel involved. They need to feel important. They need to feel like they can contribute. So I wouldn't be at all surprised to see uh, a few changes for the game against uh, Brentford on, on Saturday. And I don't think I'd have any real issue with those changes, particularly if, for example, Jorginho was starting because Partey was, you know, a little bit um, less than 100% and they want to make sure he's ready for City. Lovely stuff. Um, Kev, as a former striker, I'm going to ask you the striker question. How do you solve a problem like following Balogun? What do you do with him in the summer? Well, you get him back into the building. You have a look at him because you know what? We could have... You imagine we could have done with him on the bench on Saturday, couldn't we? Mm. You know, somebody different, somebody who likes to run in behind. Um, so he's a problem. He's a good problem to have, Tom. And that's what we want. Uh, following Balogun's been, been outstanding. But we get him back in the building and we get him playing and we see what he's like in the group. I think that's important. If he if he does the business, then he's a, he's a key member of the squad because... 
realistically, we've got to be getting stronger and going for every tournament next season. So, fair play to him for his form, but it's a problem that's easily solved because he's got a long-term contract. Lovely stuff. Yeah, it's, it's, it seems such an obvious answer when you put it that way. Um, <laughs> lovely stuff. And lastly, Clive, uh, I'm going to ask you the same question I asked Arteta because I wasn't happy with his answer, so I thought you might be able to give me a better <laughs> one. Um, and that's with Sambi Lukonga going on loan, um, obviously in the, in the sign of giving him... Yeah, he needs minutes. He wants minutes. He's such a crucial age in his career that he needs to be playing to get the development that he needs. Are you worried that we've signed players like Kivior and Fabio Vieira, for instance, who are going to be extensively behind established players and aren't going to be getting the minutes that they need at such a crucial age to develop themselves? How long have I got? <laughs> You've got three <laughs> <Yeah>. minutes. <laughs> well, it, it's, the most important thing is that players play. So Kev said there about Balogun coming back and we're all thinking, that's, that's a, we could have done with him on the weekend. We could do with this version of Balogun. When he was trundling around at Middlesbrough, no one was saying, come back. Do you know what I mean? And so he's developed by playing, by playing. And Sambi's gone out now to play. He may be a different player in three months' time, or at least we can make a decision upon him. Kivior now, one of those players I didn't knew nothing about until I started watching him. And I watched the World Cup games that he played in, wasn't looking at him. <laughs> I was looking at and and uh, and then you see those games, you think, okay, he looks pretty good, doesn't he? He looks really good. At the moment, there isn't a vehicle for him to play. But when the competition starts in March, Europa League and the games become a bit more compressed, I think we're gonna see him then. He needs to settle in, you know, make sure he can understand the language, all the calls, all different drills. And so we want to see him, but not yet. But maybe in time, he's something to look out for. When he has played, he has played in midfield, but he's also played at the centre of a back three. How do we end games with Rob Holding in the centre of a back three? You can see that situation change once he's settled and he becomes a closeout guy in the centre of a back three. You know, quicker, stronger in the air, better distribution. So you can see how the evolution of the squad will will change there. So as a number eight decision uh, discussion, sorry, um, we let Sambi go, and there's a you know there's a bit of a hole there in our in depth wise. Shaka's there. Who else plays eight? Now you're talking about Trossard or Vieira or Smith Rowe. So by making that change, you force someone else to step up. Or is it? Or Zinchenko, exactly. Because I love Tommy Asu at left back, by the way, inverted. I love that. <laughs> you know? And um, and against, you know, if you look about getting Vieira in, what you would do, you say, well, I can't play Vieira and Zinchenko, but I can play Tommy Asu left back, solid, and a, a, a three-stone left eight. Do you see what I mean? I get my aerial ability at the back. I don't lose my size, but I get my back five base. I get my front five killers. So there are things we can do within the players that we have to create a different look. So I like what we did in January, particularly to create that hole in the eight. And I'd be so interested if he trusts people. Trossard's another one, by the way, who is going to be Santi Cazorla regen when he, when he gets himself okay. in because you watch the videos of him and that's all he does. It's just two-footedness in the interior. He ain't going to be out on the left for much too long. You know, as you get older, no chance. So watch his development. So... Interesting, Tom. I think he's left scope for evolution. I hope that answers it. That answer me right. Yeah, no, I'm happy. I'm happy. I never listen that. to the question anyway. I just start talking. I'll tell you, just like <laughs> they'll get the minutes <laughs> you would expect from him. Uh, but there you go. Um, and with that, and right on the dot, it brings us to a close. Um, Tom Sabo in the chat box, thank you so much for the kind donation. Four of my favorites in one place. Very kind of you to say. Uh, I don't know who Five each. Look at that. <laughs> so yeah yeah i'll send them around checks in the post um andrew <laughs> always an absolute pleasure to speak with you um tell people where they can find you and what you're going to be up to uh cheers tom uh, all the usual stuff on our blog just that's that's it indeed indeed no go check out uh, all the latest stuff on our blog with the ask cast out to uh yesterday um with, with james and uh caught up with it today but it was out yesterday and uh of course the patreon as well with lots of extra content mm. over there as well make sure you go and check it out uh kev always a pleasure to see you on my screen and uh you'll be checking out people on the hybrid squads as well make sure you tell people where they can find you my friend 
uh, at Highbury Squad um, with Sophie and at number one Kevin Campbell on Twitter and Insta. So check me out. Lovely stuff. Uh, and lastly, always a pleasure, Clive, uh, for tuning in and keeping it short as much as he could. It was a struggle yeah, at times, but he managed it. It was a struggle. <laughs> I could see the eyes burning at me. So I thought, <laughs> yeah, Andrew, give me that look. <laughs> give me that look. So, uh, yeah, so obviously I'm on the Arsenal Vision and that's that's all I do, really. I maybe pop onto Andrew's every now and again and pop onto yours every now and again and pop yeah. onto Kev's every now and again. That's probably about it, really, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, and over to the FCAs as well as we just look around the room and go, you know, this is just isn't for us. <laughs> nah, <laughs> that was not, great. Not doing, that, not doing that again. It was good. <laughs> um, thank you guys uh, for listening. Most of all, uh, thank you for making this what it is. Uh, drop a like on the video if you've enjoyed it. Subscribe to the channel if you're new. I'll be back with you live bright and early, of course, tomorrow morning at eight a.m. Uh, and yeah, have a fantastic evening. We'll see you very soon. And as always, up the Arsenal. It's the 90-plus minute. All your mates around, and you've got a McNuggets share box ready to go, and you know a late winner's coming. Your mates already got booked for a double dip in, and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfection. Order now on the McDonald's app for your delivery. You in? At participating restaurants, 18-plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.